so the last four weeks we've been going through the Gospels, right? We went through Matthew, we went through the Gospel of Mark, uh, we went through Luke, and then last week Brother Fabian took his message from John, and, uh, but this week we're going back to the Gospel of John chapter 21 for a sermon, but the, it's, it's from the Gospel of John, but it's about the man, the disciple named Peter, so we're going to go to John 21. Uh, first few verses there, we're going to read through those and hear a story about Peter, uh, the Lord's disciple, and hopefully gain some insights. Uh, but the title of this message is Man Overboard. Everybody say it real loud, Man Overboard. Uh, you don't sound very concerned. I want you to feel like concerned that somebody's overboard. So what would it be like on the barge, <laughs> Frankie, if, if a man's overboard, I'm saying you don't probably don't sit there like, man, overboard. It's... I'd say it would be a pretty exciting time. So one, two, three, let's go. One, two, three. There you go. That's good. I've worked on the on the barges. I've worked on some different docks and piers and things and uh, whenever you have to wear a life vest and uh, it's pretty uh, freaky to stand there and watch the water go by and all the stuff get clogged up underneath of the barges and um, it's pretty uh, pretty different way of looking at it. Man overboard really means something. So verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go fishing. Jesus is coming to meet you, and you say, you know what, Jesus? Nah, I'll just go fishing. There, they said to him, we're going with you also. And this is what I want you to see in this, is that whenever you go fishing, you affect other people. Amen. When you are haphazard with your spiritual life, you affect other people. And it's important to be uh, cognizant or aware of your surroundings and what's going on in the kingdom and be spiritually awake so that we know that we don't lead others astray. Amen? Because I don't want to hurt other people. Uh, they do say that hurting people hurt people. So we've got to be careful. So Peter just said, I'm going fishing. Next thing you know, the other brothers there with him, they said, we're going too. They went out and immediately got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. <laughs> Ain't that the best kind of fishing? Anybody ever went fishing and caught nothing? That's just the best, isn't it? You just sit there... I can't stand that. I'm the type of fisherman, if I don't catch a fish within the first few minutes, I'm over it. I, I'm done. I'll throw the pole down. I'm not doing that anymore. I can't, I can't do that. i got to catch a fish if I'm going. And a cool story this year, I, when we went to Ann Arbor, and I, I went to stay uh, up there for my training, and there's a guy that always goes with us, and he's a, like a professional fisherman. That's, he does it all the time, all weekends, everything. He just loves fishing. So I, I didn't even take a pole, and here we are up there, and I, and I tell him, I say, give me a pole, and he gives me this little runt, junk-looking pole, and it's got a bait on it, and I'm like, that don't even look cool. He said, that's the best bait ever. I said, okay. So we walk over there, and we're on this lake and up in Michigan, and, and I cast the first cast, and it no sooner hits the water like that, I get a fish, and I'm reeling it in. It's a little bass, you know, a little bitty bass, and I, but it was fighting, and I was pulling it in. This little bitty, looked like a Mickey Mouse pole, 
So he stands there now that I've caught the fish, and he's the pro fisherman, and he casts and casts and casts and don't catch anything for a little bit. And so it gave me bragging rights. So I caught something, he caught nothing, he's the pro. Uh, but it was probably just a happenstance of where it landed for me because I don't know what I'm doing when I'm fishing. I'm not a pro fisherman. But it's cool to catch fish, right? How many's ever been fishing and didn't catch anything all night, like one of them all-night trips, and it's just boring. I don't like it, so I like catching fish. And Peter and, and John and James here, they are fishermen by trade, so if they don't catch any fish, I'd say they're tore up because kindly that's their money source. It'd be like you going to work and not getting a paycheck at the end of the week. Wouldn't that be awesome to work all week long and get no paycheck? Yep. Anybody sign up for that? No, we want a paycheck, right? We want to get paid or earnings. So they didn't catch anything. But when the morning has now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered, Nope. And he said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast their net, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had uh, removed it, and he plunged into the sea. Everybody say, man overboard. But the other disciple came in a little boat, for they were not far off land, but the two, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coal there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish, which you have also caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to him, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this message today is about the man named Peter. Peter was a disciple, uh, one of the earliest disciples of Jesus. Uh, Andrew had come and got him. He had a brother that met Jesus, but uh, Peter was one of the earliest ones that uh, Jesus said, come follow me. And uh, he did. He gave up his fishing career earlier on, three years prior to this. Uh, he gave it up all, everything, and walked away. And follow Jesus. But as he's following Jesus for these three years, he, he come to have expectancies of what he expected from Jesus and his way of walking with Jesus. He had become so calloused because of who he was prior to becoming a Christian or a follower of Jesus that he had his own way of thinking, of doing things his way. And I think in this message today for us, how many of us do things our own way in our Christianity versus what Jesus asked us to do? On a daily basis, we run in, we meet people, we, we have uh, conversations with people, and, and how aware are we of the surrounding that it's really the purpose of Jesus allowing us to meet that individual so that we can have compassion on them the way that Fabian preached about last week. And I just wonder how much are we giving God our gifts, our talents, to be able to use them according to his purpose and not our own. So I've told this story before, so if you've been around Bethesda for a little while, you may have heard this story a time or two, but that's okay. You can hear it again. 
but there's some people here that may not have ever heard this story. But when I was early on in my Christian uh, life, that I, I was, I gave my life to Jesus in October of 1999, and in June of the following year, I was called to preach at a youth camp, and uh, so I was like nine months old in Christianity, and God calls me to preach, and I'm like weirded out by that. I'm like I don't like talking in front of people. I have no leadership skills. I I don't see any purpose in why you would call me. I can't even talk right. Amen? Whenever I talk, people will lean into me, and they look at me, and they, they lower their eye. That means, what's this boy saying? I can't tell because he's got this weird accent that we can't even tell what he's saying. But a lovely thing, uh, pray for Sister Dolly. She's uh, uh, not well and uh, needs our prayers. But Sister Dolly comes, and, and she tells me all the time that she's attended other churches and listened to other preachers and different things. When Whenever she comes and she sits on the back, she says she can understand everything I, I, I say. And it's amazing to her because she's got the little thing in the, behind her ear that's the little receptor. It's basically like a false ear behind her ear that she can hear a little bit, but she can't hear perfectly. But she says the pitch of my voice is perfect for what she needs to be able to hear. And so God calls us, even though we may think less of ourselves and we're not capable. Uh, I've preached a lot of messages about that, about Moses and all the different ones that God called that would always say, not me, pick somebody else, but God calls who he wishes. Amen? It's not up to us to decide that. It's his will, not mine. So God called me to preach, and I was praying and, and, and seeking God, and, and the first time I uh, went out into ministry, uh, and I, I, I was praying at my trailer up on Briary, and uh, all of a sudden, it's like I was in this vision, and uh, I was on this big aircraft carrier-looking boat. It was a big, huge boat out in the sea, and as we was out in the sea, all the water was filled with people that were drowning, and here we are, a bunch of Christians standing up on the deck of this big platform, and uh, lost people are out there in the water drowning, and it had a mast on it that had a, a flag that said God's glory, that his, his glory shines around us as his presence, right? So when God's glory shows up, his presence shows up, which changes lives. And as we're standing on this big uh, aircraft carrier-looking thing, and, and I was there, and I was looking out, and I was concerned about the plight of the people in the water because they're going to drown. They're going to perish if somebody don't rescue them. And God showed me in the pictures, I looked around, that there was Christians, and they were standing around the edge of the boat, and they, they had these um, life preservers. These life preservers, says Jesus saves, soul survivor. So I, I, we had these life preservers, and it had a rope on it, and we would throw it out into the water, and somebody would grab a hold of it, and we'd pull them in and lift them up to the boat to, so that they could be in the safety. And as this vision happened, I, I was just perplexed by it because there's so many people in the world, and some people don't even believe the statistics. The national statistics say that only 17% of the people in America are born-again Christians. So that means every 10 people you meet, basically eight of them is going to go to hell unless you tell them, unless you have concern for them out in the water going to drown and perish and go into eternity lost and undone without God. So this, this was a real thing for me that I seen these people, you know, and they were hurting. And it, it's concerning wherever you look at it in that way that the choice is either heaven or hell. I don't want anybody choosing hell. Amen? And God doesn't want anybody choosing hell. He sent his son to the cross to die on the cross for our sins, the remission of our sins, that his blood would cover us, right? That it would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
But it's our job, and they said, how should they hear without a preacher? That's what Fabian said last week. So whenever I was called to preach, I seen this vision. I was like, man, i, I got to do that. And, and when we first come to Bethesda, um, the Vanceburg campus, Leslie and I, we decorate, redecorated the church a little bit, and we bought two life preservers, and we put up on the front wall to be symbolic of that the people of Lewis County needs to hear about Jesus. That there's people sitting in this room that if Bethesda wasn't a church, the church that you uh, like for whatever reason, whether it's the music, whether it's the, the preaching, whether it's the children's ministry, whatever your purpose is for coming here, you like it here, right? You got friends here. There's fellowship here. We're kind of a group of misfits, but that's okay. Look at your neighbor and smile real big. Say, I'm just like you. <laughs> I'm a train wreck in slow motion, right? It's okay. But as, as this, that, that Bethesda is a place where I want us to be that boat that people can come to for safety. That whenever they're troubled and perplexed in life and they're going through hell and it feels like there's no way out, that there's some Christian standing up on the bow of the boat that's not just looking out and saying, well, I'm glad I'm not out there anymore. I think that's the problem with most churches because we get so inward focused, right, that we're, we're just glad we got in the church and we're not concerned about the people outside the walls. So we're to be perplexed about their plight. We're to be troubled by their plight. And those people in the water, unless somebody lifts them up with that life preserver, unless somebody reaches out, how are they going to know God? And that's not just the pastor's job. That's not just the children's church worker's job. That's every person in this room's job. He called us all to reach the lost, the ones that are undone without God. So this, this really troubled me, and I, I went full force into it, and, you know, preaching messages, and I traveled uh, evangelizing forever. I mean, I've, I've been all over the country preaching, uh, in different. I've preached in little bitty churches with nobody in it, two or three, four people. Uh, I preached one time to three, it was me and Mom and Betty. And I had, a, I had a revival service, and there's just the three of us there. And I preached there. It didn't matter how many showed up. And I preached in big services where there was a bunch of people. But I would just preach because that's what God called me to do. And I was passionate about it. I cared about it. I was concerned about uh, people's lives and who was, who, was, uh, who was lost out there in the community. And if I preached, I felt like I had a, a reason, a calling to do that. But we can preach inside these walls really easy. But I believe what we have to do is preach when we're outside of these walls. Amen? When you're on your job site, when you're in the community at some event, the fall festival there the night, wherever you're at, whatever you go to, be an agent for God, being an ambassador for God. So Peter here, it just it kind of dumbfounds me that he jumps off the boat. He's in the safety zone of where he's at, but he jumps off this boat that he's in fishing. And it's kind of like I thought about that, you know, here I am with this vision of mine, and I'm on this big safety platform that I've got a, 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 a this sole survivor, this, uh, uh, what's it called? I'm losing track. My brain's, my brain's, life preserver, and you can throw it out, right? But if you stand on, my brain is fuzzy as it can be. I'm full of snot in my head, but that's okay. But as you're standing on the edge, and you're looking out, and you're caring and have compassion about others, and you're pulling them in, it kindly wears on you over time. 
And you're, you're pulling in, and, and, and as a pastor today, I can tell you that it concerns me when I see people come onto the boat, and they get up on the edge of the boat, and they're on fire for God, and all they care about is, man, we got to do something to save somebody else, and they're caring, and, and they're throwing out a life preserver, and they're pulling more on, and then the next thing you know, they're up on the edge of the boat, and they get wore down, and they get to this point in their life where that they uh, no longer care. They look around and say, well, you know, that's going on, and they're, they're where I used to be, and we kind of go back into our old ways. Kind of like Peter going fishing. It's easy to do that. To just It's called backsliding in the Bible. That we backslide on God. It isn't he's shoving us backwards. It's that we're sliding backwards because we're no longer going forward. There's all kinds of scriptures about it. In Galatians, you know, it, it talks about who, who has bewitched you, who has caused you to stumble in your faith. You was once running really well. What happened? Paul was asking the church at Galatia. And that, that's true for us today. Who has, who has bewitched us into becoming the person that we used to be instead of the person that Jesus created us to be? When we first got saved, right? There was a fire. There was an ignited source on the inside of us that we had compassion. We cared. We, we helped do stuff at the church. And then the, kind of we waxed colder and colder over time. Anybody ever been there? Or am I the only one? It happens that we grow cold on God. And in Revelations, God tells the church at Laodicea, he, he tells them, I, I would rather you be hot or cold and not lukewarm. Because it's easy to become lukewarm in our Christianity because we don't longer have the compassion, the care, and the worry that we once had about the lost. If you want to reignite the passion of God in your life, begin to worry about other people outside of the church that are going to die and go to hell if somebody don't reach them and then say, God, send me. Fabian told you last week in the scriptures, Jesus said, pray therefore for labors for the harvest. God is looking for people that will reach out and touch somebody that needs touched. Whether they're undocumented uh, migrants or whoever they are, they don't deserve to go to hell because of where they was born because we don't like them. Amen, we got to reach people, even some people we don't like. You've got some enemies, and Jesus taught when he was with his disciples, pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. It's not easy. But that's who God is in us. He's a reconciler. He's one that brings back. So as I think about this message, and man overboard that Peter's standing there on this boat, and he's been fishing all of his life, and, and he gets these other two, and they go with him now. He's, he's infecting other people by his backsliding. He's caused other people to backslide. And that can happen in the church. You can watch if, if one family will backslide and walk back on God that other people say, well, if they give up on God, I might as well too. Be careful because we affect others, right? So uh, Peter back here on this boat and he's fishing all night and he catches nothing. It's good enough for him. Should have been fishing anyway. Amen? If God called you out of fishing for fish and told you he's going to make you a fisher of men, it's not a good job to go back and go fishing. Unless you're fishing for men. That was Peter's calling. God told him, you're a fisher of men. So as this happens, and, and Peter's there, and he's fishing. He, he's infected these other two people, and, and they're with him on the boat, and he's standing there. But as he's standing in the morning, can you imagine where in your life, and whenever you're in a backslidden state or you're cold on God, your spirituality is cold, as you walk away from God, it's, it's humiliating. It's, it's infuriating. We get mad at ourselves. How did I allow this to happen? Amen. Amen? If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. That, man, I hate it that I walked away from God. 
And Peter's standing here on this boat. I can imagine fishing all night and catching nothing. And he's thinking, man, I'm supposed to be fishing for men. And look at me here doing this. And all of a sudden, as they look over to the shore, and there's somebody there. And I wonder how many of us in this room today, some of us may be in a backslidden state and don't even know it. Because that can happen. There is a backsliding where that you willfully walk away from God and say, I, know, I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do with them Christian people. I, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go as hard as I can for the enemy. That's a truly backsliding state, but there is a backsliding that allows you to be lukewarm too. It ain't that you go strictly back cold. It's just that you're lukewarm. And God said he'd rather have us hot or cold. It's worse to be lukewarm. But today as we're sitting here, I just wonder, is any of us in a backslidden state and we didn't even realize it? But maybe God's going to pull a message out of John about this man named Peter that's fishing. And Jesus shows up on the seashore. It has to just, it confounds me with this story because as I think about through the scriptures that this man named Peter, he went out and he, he, he was part of the 70 that went out and healed people that Jesus sent out. He was one of the ones and, I, and he, he was helping Jesus in ministry. He helped feed the 5,000. He helped feed the 4,000. Can you imagine seeing the miracles that Jesus performed for three years of your life walking hand in hand, toe to toe with Jesus Christ? And at the end of it, just because he ended up getting killed on the cross, you gave it all up because it didn't work the way you wanted it to. That's where Peter's at. So sad. But at the end of that walk, Jesus was telling him, you know, the last two weeks he's coming down off of Mount Harmon and he's, he's heading down through the crowd and, or through the different towns and he's heading into Jerusalem to go be crucified. And he tells his disciples, he says, you gotta, you got to be ready. you got to... He's, he's telling them stories about the last days. He's telling them all kinds of things. And he tells them, you know, that the Son of Man would be uh, put in the ground in three days he would rise again. He, he warned them ahead of time that he was going to die, but he would rise again. And imagine Peter, three days after Jesus died, saying, I'll just go fishing. I don't see Jesus anywhere. I'm just going fishing. But Peter, just three days earlier, the night before Jesus died, wherever the guard, the centurions come, and they come to get Jesus, and he's out there in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. Jesus is out there praying, great drops of blood. His disciples are, are asleep and snoring. Whenever they finally, the Roman guards come up, and they come up, the, the chief priests come up with their guards, and they come to get Jesus, and whenever they, they come to get him, they, they come up, and they ask him, are you Jesus? And, and Judas comes up and kisses him, right? One of his own disciples betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He said, the one I kiss, that'll be Jesus. He walks up and kisses him on the cheek. The guards grab him. Peter gets mad, pulls out a sword, and cuts a guy's ear off. with Jesus right beside of him. How many of us hurt other people because my life is not going like I want it to? Amen? Amen? That we hurt other people. 
And Jesus standing right beside him. Jesus getting ready to be shackled. And Jesus, this is his last night here before the crucifixion the next day. And Jesus is sweating these drops of blood. And he can't get his disciples to pray in their sleep. And whenever the guards finally come and they, they grab him and, and Peter cuts his ear off. And Jesus looks at it and Jesus looks at this as an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to teach you something, Peter. And it says that Jesus reaches down, grabs the ear, and puts it back on the guy. And instantly it's healed. And I, I, whenever I think about that, that Peter is this guy that's cutting people's ear off and Jesus is fixing it. How many of us hurt other people and Jesus has to come behind us and clean up our mess? That he has to fix the hurt that we've caused in somebody else. Maybe we said something rude. Maybe we said something mean. Maybe we done something that was just very ungodly even though we're a Christian. Even though we're following Jesus and he's standing right beside of me, I can cut people's ear off and him having to fix it because I'm, a, I'm an idiot. So sad. But that's who Jesus is. He's the healer of the brokenhearted. He's the repairer of the breach. He's the one that will stand on the seashore even when you're fishing. You shouldn't be fishing. He'll come and meet you where you're at. That's the Jesus we serve. So sad. He hurt others for his own benefit. And it's all really too often that we do that in reality too. So as they grab him and they drag Jesus down and they got this courtyard that they go into at the chief priest and whenever they're there and they're asking Jesus all these questions and, and Peter falls behind it says and he comes in behind and, and the courtyard is an area about the size of this room. So as they get Jesus in there and they're questioning him, Peter uh, works his way into that crowd and he's there in the midst of them. And there's this little girl that looks up at him and says, are you not one of them? You're one of them Galileans. I, I've seen you. Peter's, no, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus had already pre predicted this and prophesied this and told Peter, you're going to deny me three times and then the rooster's going to crow. You'd think this would be an example to learn by that Jesus has already forewarned you that you're going to be this way, right? But Peter said, no, I don't know him. Little girl comes back again. I, I'm pretty sure. Nope. Third time, and it says they're standing by a fire, and she looks up at him and says it, and it says that Peter cussed her. Think about this. A three-year disciple of Jesus, walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, living with Jesus for three years, cussing a little girl because she says you know Jesus. How sad. Because he cared more about his own life. And he feared for his own life because of what he was watching them do to their his master. Because it says in those very verses right there in the Gospels that as Jesus was in that courtyard, it said they, they, they smote him with their fist. They pulled out his beard. They spit on him. It's easy to be a Christian in a church house. It's easy to be a Christian when Jesus is feeding 5,000. What are you going to do when he's getting beat? That's what it's like out in the world, isn't it? 
when you're around and somebody tells some dirty joke about some thing about Jesus or something. And she's like, ah, I can't really speak up. But I wonder if God didn't put us there so we can speak up. Because most likely those people that are telling those jokes are telling it because they're hurting on the inside and they know they're broken and undone without God. I just wonder, did God really want Peter to be the bold person that he called him to be? His name was Simon. Jesus said, you're no longer going to be called Simon, you're going to be called Peter, which means a rock. You're going to be something stable. But in the midst of the trouble, Peter backs up and says, nah, I'll just cuss this little girl out and go on my own way. Can you imagine the anguish in his mind of doing Jesus wrong? And I just wonder if there's anybody in this room that Jesus has ever asked you to do something. And he even told you. And you didn't. And you felt like you've let him down. And I think that's what Peter was at. I might as well just go fishing because I ain't a fisher of men no more. I've denied my master. I've denied my savior. Who am I cussing kids? Jesus, being who he is, he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. He would go with us even to the end of the age. And that Jesus that said, Peter, I'll never leave you, comes walking up to that seashore. Peter's standing out there in that boat fishing when he knew he shouldn't be. Jesus said, are you hungry? I just wonder if there's anybody in this room that is hungry for God that says, I'm tired of walking away from him. I'm tired of doing what I want to do. And when he begins to knock and you know it's him, you can hear his voice. And it's reverberating in your soul and you're saying, I know he's talking to me. I just wondered if you would be the type of person that would dive off the boat of your own safety zone of being out there fishing and saying, I'm ready to swim again, God. I'm coming to the shore, Jesus. If you've cooked me breakfast, I'm coming to eat. It says that he will prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And I believe today in this place that Jesus has came here to do just that. I got this little thing that I want to read and then we're done. I heard someone give an illustration once about a wooden well bucket that he came upon. He thought it was useless at first because it had been sitting next to a barn in the sun. It had been unused for a long time and you could see the daylight between the wooden slats of the bucket. Certainly this thing would never hold water again. But the older man that was with him tied the bucket to a well rope and let it down into the water. In a couple of days, they came back and they turned the crank and drew up the back, uh, drew the bucket back up, and it was full of clear, cool well water, and was not leaking a drop. The water had rehydrated the wooden slats until they fit together as originally designed. 
and the bucket was useful again. Whenever we separate ourselves from the presence of God and we don't go home and we don't pray and we don't read and we don't call out to God in our troubles and we try to fix our life the way we want to fix it, we're just like this bucket. We become dried out and we leak. But I believe the symbolic thing of the well is the presence of God, just like Jesus told one time a story about new wineskins and old wineskins. He said old wineskins can't hold it because they're dried out and they're cracked, they're parched. But if you lather them back up and lather them back up and oil them back up, that old leather will become like new. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. He is a gentleman that comes and makes our heart pliable. And he's the one that comes and knocks on our heart's door in a room like we're in today. Maybe you're not as hot as you used to be for God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying today, won't you just vast in my presence? And if you see Jesus standing on the shore, simply as your pastor, all I'm asking you to do is jump in the water and swim home. you're tired of being broke, busted, and disgusted and you're sick of defeat today's your day to swim man overboard man overboard let's stand Jeremiah 3.14 says turn O backsliding children saith the Lord for I'm married to you I will take you into a city and to, to a family and I will bring you to Zion. The place of the presence of God. Why don't you just bow your head if you would and close your eyes. I just wonder if there's anybody here to say, Pastor, the story about Peter is really about me. I can put my name right in his place. And I've been fishing too much, and I'm tired of it. I'm ready to come home. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for those hands. They're everywhere. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that hand. man overboard Holy Spirit do what only you can do draw us to you bring us back to the well Jesus thank you for showing up on this seashore today and calling people home God I pray that every person in this room would be on fire for you God that their heart would burn within them just as the two witnesses that walked with Jesus that was he was getting ready to go to this place. He walked with two gentlemen. They didn't recognize him, but they listened to him. And Jesus, as you was walking there with them, they didn't even see you for who you was. But once you revealed yourself to them, when you broke that bread, it says that their eyes were opened. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? God, I pray that your all-consuming fire, the presence of God, would make the wooden buckets in this room wet again. 
you would cause us to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, that we would walk in our calling, in our anointing. And Lord, that you would break the yoke that has so many people in our community burdened. Lord, that they're, they're perplexed with the things of life. God, I know in this place today, Lord, that you've got some soul savers in this place. God, don't let them stand on, the, on, those, on, those, on that place of the boat and God and get to the edge and look over and see people hurting and not throw a life preserver. God, I pray that this week as they go out in the highways and byways, God, that they could reach out and touch that person. Maybe that they've, you've put them on their heart for here for a while and they haven't said anything to them yet. But today, God, you're going to reignite a passion within them for evangelism. And God, we're going to go out and go into these highways and byways. We're going to compel people to come. Lord, for those that were lukewarm that said they want to get off the boat and come back to the shore, God, I pray that you would reignite within them even now, God. Make them warmer and hotter than they ever was before. Bring passion back to the body of Christ. To love the unlovable. To touch the untouchable. In Jesus' name. Amen.